Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Welcome, Inspired Church family, to another beautiful Sunday together. Or maybe you're watching on a different day. I definitely want to welcome you. This is your first time joining us. My name is Philip. I'm one of the pastors here at Inspired Church, and I just want to thank you so much for being a part of Church at Home, which kind of reminds me, we're calling it Church at Home, but to be honest, this isn't really church. Uh, I miss you. I want to I wanna hug you. I want to talk to you. I want to look at you uh, face-to-face in your eye and say hello. So I just want to maybe encourage you and challenge you that uh, as we get used to ha- doing church kind of virtually, just remember this doesn't replace what Christ has called us to do together. And so I just can't wait for that time when we can all show up back again in one place worshiping together. That may be a while, it may be sooner, it may be later, but I'm looking forward to it. And I just wanna encourage you to look forward to it as well. What I wanna do is I wanna point you uh, to uh, the sermon guide that we have for you today. Um, in fact, it should be, we should be pinning it right now um, in the chat section. And what you can do is you can click on the sermon guide and you can get the notes for today's sermon, some questions. Um, and what's really cool is even for your teenage uh, young people that are watching uh, or for kids, they can actually take notes along with us. And so definitely would love for you to click on that sermon guide and follow along with with us uh, this morning. Um, Really, we've been going through this sermon series that we've called By Faith Alone. We've been traveling through the book of Romans for several months now, and Pastor Roger and I have been uh, specifically diving back into a particular section um, that we're going to go over some more today. And I just want to give you kind of a bird's eye view of the book of Romans, and then we'll land where we are at this morning. Um, uh, The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a church in Rome, and in this letter, the Apostle Paul details the intricacies of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul then spends several chapters, after detailing the intricacies of the gospel, he then spends several chapters answering objections to the gospel, questions that are raised against the gospel. And so we land here in chapters 9 through 11. We've been here the last couple of weeks, and chapters 9 through 11 actually feature Paul's probably most complex answers um, to one final objection regarding the relationship between God and Israel. Now, as the gospel spreads throughout the world, The question becomes, the objection is, has God broken his promises and left the Jews behind? So today, this morning, we're going to extract five lessons from Paul's answers to these two questions. Number one, has God rejected all of Israel? And number two, will that rejection last forever? Now, if you're taking notes this morning, or if you just kind of like to get a head start on where we're going, I'm going to give you the five lessons now so you can look out for them as I preach this morning. Uh, number one, the power of God's grace. Number two, the principle of the remnants. Number three, the perfect 
plan of God. Number four, the point of no return. And finally, number five, the praise of God's infinite ways. Now, if you're sitting at home and you're thinking to yourself, man, that's a lot of points. You're exactly right. So let's pray and then we'll jump right into it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everything you're doing in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing inside of every home that is tuning in right now. I pray that your word would not, would not come back void, but it would accomplish everything that it has been sent out to do. Pray that your gospel would be made known, your gospel would be made clear, and that Jesus, you would get all honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, inquiring minds want to know, has God rejected all of Israel. Or another way that we could put it is, has God pieced out on Israel? Like has God, now that the gospel is reaching the ends of the earth, has he kind of chucked up the deuces and said, look, peace Israel. Like now it's time for me to move on to bigger and better things. Has God left Israel behind and placed his attention on the church? The question that Paul is handling right now is, has God rejected all of Israel? Has he forgot about his people. And so if you have your Bibles, and also we'll have it up for you, we're going to open up to Romans chapter 11. We're going to read the entire chapter together, but we're going to go in sections. And so right now, open up to Romans chapter 11, and we are going to read verses 1 through 7. And this is Paul's response to the question, has God rejected all of Israel? So Romans 11, um, verses 1 through 7, verse 1 reads like this. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. I want to pause right there. To prove that God has not rejected all of Israel, Paul offers up himself as exhibit A. Now, I want you to listen to this. Listen to Paul's bio in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul gives his bio, his credentials. Listen to this. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. He's talking about himself. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
Now, I just wanna say this. There will never be and there never was anybody more Jewish than Paul. So if God had abandoned all the Jews, then how can anyone explain Paul's conversion, right? Again, nobody was more Jewish than the Apostle Paul, as we read in his bio. So if Paul was converted, if Paul was saved by God, then how could anyone say that all of Israel uh, was abandoned by God? Now, moving on, to prove that God had not rejected all of Israel, Paul then offers up the story of Elijah in the Old Testament as Exhibit B. Now, if you remember the story, Elijah was discouraged because the prophet Elijah assumed that he was the only one left in all of Israel who still faithfully served the Lord. But God visits him. And God reveals to him that he has kept for himself 7,000 men who have yet to bow their knees to an idol. Uh, The prophet, if you remember the story, the prophet Elijah, he was suicidal. He felt alone. He was frustrated and discouraged. And he was saying, God, I'm the only one. But God shuts him up and says, no, there are 7,000 men who still serve me in Israel. So Paul concludes, in every generation, both in the past, in the present, and in the future, though God may not save all, listen to this, he always keeps for himself a faithful few. Now, two lessons emerge from this section of scripture. Lesson number one, the power of God's grace. You know, it's been a real interesting last couple of weeks because chapters 9 through 11 of Romans are very difficult chapters. In fact, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Typically, when pastors are preaching Romans, uh, we like to skip chapters 9 through 11 because they're so difficult to wrestle through. And during the preaching of chapters 9 and 10, the last couple of weeks, we wrestled with the reality that God hardens the hearts of men. And a lot of us, we trip up over the idea that God would actually harden people's hearts. We would even say, man, that is unfair. And we are so, um, we don't understand how God could harden someone's heart. And that becomes the whole spectacle. That becomes, uh, the, we, we begin to doubt God because he hardens hearts. How dare he harden heart? How, how could he harden heart? But can I just say this? What's more amazing to me, what, what's more, what breeds more awe and wonder in my life is not the fact that God hardens hearts, but the fact that God softens hearts that have become so hard. Did you notice that while I was reading Paul's bio, listen to what Paul says about himself. He says this, I was a persecutor of the church. If anyone deserved to be rejected by God, it was Paul. He hated Jesus and he terrorized the church. But look what grace does. Grace penetrates the impenetrable. I'm going to say that again. Grace 
penetrates the impenetrable. And you might be thinking right now, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know uh, uh, the kind of things that I think about. Uh, uh, God can't reach me. But I would say this. You might be saying to me, you don't know me. But I'm going to say this. And you must not know the Apostle Paul. He was stubborn and set in his ways. He was a persecutor of the church. Blood was on his hands. This man... If this man can be accepted by God, then what makes you think that you can't? Listen, no perversion or dysfunction is beyond the reach of God's grace. Whether you're the biggest religious hypocrite in the church or you're the crookedest criminal on the block, grace is not based on anything you do, but it is based on what Christ has done on the cross on your behalf. Let me say that again. You may be sitting there right now thinking, God's grace can't touch me. I am a sinner. But I want to tell you, the grace of God is a gift, which means it's freely given to you, which means it does not matter what you've done, what you did, and what you will do. Here's what matters. What matters most is what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross, the power of the grace of God. Now, a second lesson emerges from the text. Lesson number two, the principle of the remnant. Now, the principle of the remnant reveals to us the normative way by which God operates in salvation. Let me explain. God has always, are you ready? Saved a few among the many. That's what a remnant means. Remnant means a few. God, when it comes to salvation in every generation, has always saved a few among the many. Now, why is the principle of the remnant, why is that lesson so valuable for a believer? Why is it so valuable for us today? Now, if you're a young person watching, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're a preteen and you've been taking notes, I really want you to lean in. In fact, if you're a parent, can I just say this? What I am about to say is going to be something for the rest of your children's teenage lives that you will have to reinforce and disciple deeply into their hearts for the rest of their time. And to be honest with you, parents, you're going to need this too. Single adults, you're going to need this too. The principle of the remnant teaches us two important things. You're taking notes. I really want you to lean in and listen to what I'm about to say. Number one, the principle of the remnant teaches us this. You are not alone. You see, like Elijah, all believers will inevitably come to the point where they're feeling discouraged. Like Elijah, all believers will inevitably come to a point where they're feeling frustrated. And they're coming to a point where they say to God, God, am I the only one? God, am I the only one who's giving it my all? Am I the only one who has been sacrificing everything? Am I the only one, young people? Am I the only one, singles? Hear me out. Am I the only one uh, holding? Holding on to my sexual integrity uh, while I'm single. Am I the only one 
fully devoted to Jesus? Am I the only one who's not getting high? Am I the only one who's not getting drunk? Am I the only family member who is holding on to Jesus? It is inevitable in your walk with Christ, there will be times where you'll be frustrated. There'll be times where even among, listen, even among your Christian friends who are compromising, you'll be tempted to compromise because you will feel like you are the only one. But here's what the principle of the remnant reminds us. You are not alone. There are more at your school than you think. There are more at your office, in your workplace than you think. There are more in your family than you know. In every generation, God has always revealed himself to a faithful few. God has always reserved for himself, kept for himself a faithful few who has refused to bow their knees to idols. Be encouraged. You are a part of God's faithful remnant and you are not alone. Number two, the second thing that we learn from the principle of the remnant, you're not alone. And finally, number two, this world is not your home. This world is not your home. Be careful. Don't get too comfortable here. As God's remnant, you don't belong here. So don't be discouraged when you feel like you don't fit in. You want to know why? Because you don't. You weren't made for this world. Don't be frustrated when your lifestyle seems strange to everyone else. Don't be surprised when people get upset or angry with you because, uh, or call you names or persecute you because the way that you're leading your life uh, uh, seems strange or odd or even condemning to them. God has never called us to fit in. He has always caused us to stand out and shine. Listen, the upside down culture of the kingdom of God will always, always be in radical opposition to the cultures of this world. But take heart. You don't belong to this world because you weren't made for this world. You were made for heaven. The final question Paul will answer regarding Israel's rejection is this. Will this rejection last forever? Has God rejected Israel permanently? Let's go back to the scriptures. Romans chapter 11. This is actually going to be a longer section I'm going to read through. And we're going to read verses 11 through 32. The scripture reads like this. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, is this failure permanent? Paul answers, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews 
jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now sharing the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you say, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And this is important. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take their sins away. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now receive mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all, all to disobedience. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Wow, that's a lot to read there. So I'm gonna do my best to summarize and break down what Paul is saying. I want you to know this. The cross of Christ was in God's plan from the very beginning. God had always determined to save the world through the cross. The salvation of the entire world was always God's mission. It was always God's plan. So God begins with Abraham, but eventually hardens Israel, leading to their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. 
Now, that rejection actually propels the gospel outside of Israel to go out and penetrate the far corners of the earth. That gospel then leaves Israel and heads into the nations of the world. Now, it's here where Paul pauses. He stops us for a moment and he warns the church. He warns the Gentiles. And for most of us watching, that's us. We are the Gentiles. Paul says, look, I want to warn you Gentiles right now. Don't become arrogant. Don't become conceited. Don't walk around now looking at the Jewish people and saying, well, you used to be in and now you're out and now it's our turn. Paul warns us, don't be privileged with the gospel. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be racist. Don't be an anti-Semitic. Remember, it was the Jews who laid the foundations of our faith. We get our scriptures. They were written mostly by Jews. The prophets were Jews. The apostles were Jews. Apostle Paul Paul and the early church, church were Jews. To this day, God has a remnant of Jews that he's still saving. And so don't become haughty. Don't become prideful. Don't become racist. Don't become anti-Semitic. Do not lest you fall too. And Apostle Paul wants us to remember, God is not finished with them yet. In fact, listen to this. While God is saving the Gentiles, This is the mystery. While God is saving the Gentiles, did you know he has a specific number in mind? Now, I don't know if he has it written down somewhere, written on the wall, but in his mind, God has a specific amount of Gentiles that he plans to save. Now look, once that number has been reached, a revival is gonna take place among the nation of Israel And then many Jews will acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. And here's a really interesting thing. The apostle Paul says, I minister to the Gentiles. He says, but when I minister to the Gentiles, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Every time I minister to the Gentiles, yes, I minister to them because the gospel needs to go to them. But every time I minister to them, I wanna provoke the Jews to jealousy. I was actually sharing this with uh, my connect group last week, but um, you know, have you ever maybe broke up with somebody or maybe somebody broke up with you and then, you know, they, in order to make you a little jealous, they went and found somebody else. And all of a sudden, you know, you're scrolling on Instagram, Facebook, like some of you guys do. I know I have some stalkers out there. Um, uh, And you start seeing that somebody with someone else. And here's what ends up happening, right? Um, You start seeing that they're being loved, they're being cherished. You start seeing the way they're being treated and all of a sudden something begins to bubble up inside of you and it stirs you up into jealousy. Now, I know that that is a really limited like human way to see this, Uh, um, but what, what Paul is saying is, is that since the Jews have rejected Jesus, now Jesus is going to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are bowing their knees. They're receiving the scriptures. The church is being formed. What Paul says is as I'm preaching the gospel to the Jew, uh, to, the, to the Gentiles. And as the Gentiles are running to this gospel, the goal is, uh, the plan of God is for the Jews to be provoked to jealousy to come back to him. Now, from this section, two more lessons emerge. Lessons three and four. Lesson number three is the perfect plan of God. Now, I really love this. Listen, What looks like or what you and I experience as a failure is actually a fulfillment. Say that again. 
what seems to be a failure and for every tense and purpose is a failure is actually also a fulfillment. What we perceive as a fail in our limited understanding, God can still use for his glory in his unlimited wisdom. Uh, I love this about the story of Joseph in Genesis, right? Joseph's brothers hated him. They were jealous of him. And so they threw him into a pit and then they sold him into Egyptian slavery. And some years later, the brothers confront Joseph. And this is what Joseph says to them. You meant evil against me, but God used it for good. You see, in God's perfect plan, God still reigns over imperfections. Let's say it again. In God's perfect plan, God still reigns over imperfections and uses evil for his glory and the ultimate good of his creation. Now, nowhere is this most evident than in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What looked like Satan's greatest victory and man's darkest act ended up being God's perfect plan of salvation for the entire world. God's perfect plan. What can look like a failure in the eyes of the Lord could be fulfillment. Lesson number four, we must be careful because there is a point of no return. Now, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Paul warns the Gentiles. He warns you and I. He warns the church. And this is what he says. Don't be arrogant or privileged concerning your current state with God. He says this, because what happened to the Jews can happen to you. Now let's take a step back. I want you to listen to what happened to the Jews as Paul describes it in verses eight through 10. It reads like this. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table be a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. If you're listening right now, Church of Jesus Christ, our hearts are not immune to growing into this kind of callousness towards God. In fact, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we read the story of how Pharaoh was, his heart was hardened by God. And to be honest, it wasn't a shock to think that an evil man like Pharaoh could have a hardened heart towards God. Like we weren't shocked about it. That was the normal trajectory of Pharaoh's heart. He had rejected God. In fact, Pharaoh had placed himself up as a God. And so it wasn't too difficult to see that his heart was hardened towards God. But when God's people who have access to God's word, who has experienced God's presence, when their hearts began to harden, it became a critical warning to all of us. If you hear the truth and continue to reject it, 
there will come a point of no return. There can come a point, listen, there can come a point where your heart is no longer sensitive to the word of God. And I think we have to pause there and that's something we have to process. There can come a point, there can come a point to where your heart is no longer sensitive to the word of God. And this is kind of a really scary thought for a lot of us. This warning, listen, this warning is not for those who are far off. Like we read this and we think, oh yeah, you know, this, this is for all of those people, right? We always say those people, right? The, those secular people, those heathens, right? All out there running amok. But us church people who go to church every week, like we're fine. I want you to know this warning was not for them. This warning for, was for you who are faithfully sitting and hearing the word. You see, Pharaoh was an evil man. We're not surprised that his heart was hardened. But Israel had the word of God and was exposed to his presence, yet they still had their hearts become hardened as well. This illustration is scary because it's not for those who are far off, but it's for those who think that they're close. And I I, want to give you some advice right now. Never stop practicing the habit of responding to God's Word. I'm going to say that again. Never stop practicing the habit of responding to God's word. I love how my wife on Sundays, she inspires me. Uh, when we are ready for the sermon on Sundays, we put it on the TV and we sit down and she breaks out her laptop and she begins to take notes. And I'm not saying all of us have to take notes, but even taking notes on a Sunday is a way of sitting still, forcing yourself to intently listen to the word of God, practicing this advice that I never want to allow my heart not to respond to God's word. You know, uh, when we planted Inspired Church, we built a culture that revolved around responding to God's word. In fact, the messages that we preach on Sunday, we then take it to small groups throughout the week and we practice responding to God's word. And one of the things that we do at Inspire is we ask our members to serve, but we also ask our members to sit. And so they serve in ministry, but they also sit and listen to the word. And I I really want you to see this. I've seen ministry teams and leaders, ready? Make the church about work and not the word. And and this is not just specifically for Inspire, but I've been around churches for a long time. I've seen worship teams, they'll lead worship and then they'll get down and they'll go somewhere else and the message is preached and they come back down to do their job. I've seen ushers. In fact, I used to call this the usher mentality, right? An usher is someone who greets and and says hello to somebody walks in and security teams, right? Who are always watching and monitoring the halls. I've seen people enter into those ministries and then get what I call an usher mentality. Here's what an usher mentality is. You get so used to working in the back that all of a sudden on days that you're not supposed to serve, guess what? You're still in the back. And remember, in fact, I used to walk in, and this was a very long time, but I used to walk in and I would see somebody on the usher team and I would say, well, oh, you're on today? He's like, oh, no, I'm not on, but I'm just still here helping. And before you know it, months can go by, weeks can go by, years can go by, and what happens is you become callous to the word of God. Church becomes a work to avoid 
the word. Our time serving can become an escape from sitting and allowing the word to shape you. And before you know it, time passes by and you become indifferent to the preaching and teaching of the word of God. In fact, I tell my leaders, all my leads and captains and coaches that are watching, um, I know it's on our hearts to love our team. It's on our hearts um, to minister to our team. It's on our hearts for our teams to minister, but never to replace them sitting before the Lord and learning to respond to the word. Listen up to me. Take heed, leaders, team members, all of those who are watching that serve in church, take heed. Listen to my advice. The enemy would love to have you busy doing the work of ministry while the ministry doesn't do any work on you. Say that again. The enemy will love to have you busy doing the work of ministry while the ministry is not doing any work in you. Let us always remember that our hearts can grow callous too. We must practice sitting still and responding to the word of God. This brings us to our final lesson. The praise of God's infinite ways. The praise of of God's infinite ways. Now, so far, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, if you've been going through this series with us, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, like Paul has been blowing our minds with theology, right? Doctrines like justification, sanctification, glorification, imputation, propitiation. Uh, we've wrestled with the tensions of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We've tried to make sense of God's foreknowledge and man's free will and and while for some, these mysteries have led to frustrations trying to figure out God for the Apostle Paul. Listen, lofty doctrine always brings him into deeper doxology. I want to say that again. While some have become frustrated and even doubted God because of how deep and how wide, I want you to know for Paul, lofty doctrine always leads him into deeper doxology. I want to read these final verses to you as we get ready to worship. Verse 33 through 36 reads like this. Oh, and I, I just want to pause there because that simple like two-letter word communicates Paul's awe. That simple two-letter word, oh, communicate that Paul is pausing and reacting to something that has grabbed his full attention. Paul says, oh, oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known? Known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It 
It's almost like Paul says, I got to stop and give God a praise break. I got to stop for a praise break right now because I have been writing the intricacies of the gospel. I have been feeding you with the depths of theology. I have been giving you things that you may not even understand. My mind is blown. I have reached my limit and I got to stop and say, oh my goodness. Oh, the depths of God's knowledge. Oh, the depths of his wisdom. How unsearchable are his ways. As Paul's letter begins to turn from theology to practicality, Paul transitions in worship. And I love this. Listen, Paul has climbed up the mountain of God's wisdom only to find that as high as he tries to climb, he can never reach the top. And interestingly, once Paul realizes that he's climbed as high as he can climb and he can't climb no more, he does not grumble, he does not complain, he does not even continue to climb, but he lays out before the Lord on his face in worship. And I love how Pastor H.B. Charles puts it. He says it like this, Paul pauses to worship in the fact that God knows what he is doing even when we do not. Paul pauses to worship. He pauses to pray. Praise the Lord when in the fact that God knows what he's doing even when we do not. You see here at the end of Romans 11, Paul's mind is empty but his heart is full. God is too deep for him to figure out. God is too high for him to reach. And so as we finish today and consider all that Paul has been saying, I want to leave you with the words of St. Jerome. He says this, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without the fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in it without ever touching the bottom. And so as we conclude this section, and as we've hit some deep things, and as some of you may not even fully understand, I wanna encourage you right now, where you're at, in your home right now, to pause and to worship God, for he is far above and beyond anything that we can think or imagine. Oh, how rich is his wisdom, unsearchable his ways. Let's take a moment to worship together. God is worthy. God is worthy to be praised. God is worthy of all honor and all glory, all power, and all might. And we get, when we get to that place, when we are at our wit's end, when we can't figure out God, I want to encourage you. It's not your time to doubt or to give up, but it's your time to worship because his ways are much more higher than yours, much more higher than mine. And if you're watching today and maybe you feel far from God, I want to just offer you an opportunity to come back. He's waiting for you. You can do it right there in your front room. You don't even have to go anywhere. You might ask, well, how? How can I 
How can I get back into a relationship with God? Well, the reality is, is that sin blocks us from that relationship. So something needs to be done. But Christ has done it on the cross. And so I'm going to tell you right now, if that's you, if you're far from God, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you're not certain or sure, just repent of your sin. Would you just for a moment put down your pride and admit you don't have it together? Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have gone astray, that you've broken the law of God. But that's not all. Don't just admit it, but then turn from it. Turn away from it and look to Jesus and put your faith in him. Put your faith in what he did on the cross. And let me tell you what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took the full wrath of God, the wrath that you as a sinner deserved. He took it upon himself. And then he gave to you his sinless perfection. So that if you put your faith in him, if you would put your trust in that work of the cross, if you put it in Jesus Christ, guess what? All of your sin will be punished in him and all of his perfection and righteousness will be placed on you. That's all you have to do right now. So let me say a prayer and then we're gonna finish. I'm gonna read you a couple of questions. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's someone out there who doesn't know you, someone who's far from you. I also pray if there's somebody who's been serving you, but they have been doing the work of ministry without allowing the word to shape them. I pray that they would come to a place right now, repentance. We repent of our callous, cold hearts to the word. God, I pray that even in this, this shelter in place, you would begin to soften our hearts again so that we may hunger and thirst for the word. In fact, I feel like there's somebody, there are people watching right now Right now, your heart is hard. You no longer hunger for the word. Like you used to be hungry for it. You used to love it, but now it doesn't shape you. It doesn't mold you. But I just pray right now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would soften hard hearts with your grace. And I pray that those that don't know you would put, your, put their faith, that would repent of their sin and put their faith in you, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. Every week, as I said before, we've built a culture that revolves around the word and we will be meeting this week on Zoom, not in circles, but in squares. Um, and we'll be discussing in small groups some questions regarding the message. So I, I wanna read the questions ahead of time so you can begin to prepare yourself now. They're also in your, in your guide. Um, and the questions are this. Number one, the principle of the remnant teaches us that in every generation, God has always saved a few among the many. This principle reminds us that we are not alone and this world is not our home. How can or how have these reminders encouraged your faith in times of discouragement? Question number two, in the perfect plan of God, what looked like Israel's failure was actually God's fulfillment. In Genesis, after Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery, Joseph told them, you meant for evil against me, but God used it for good. How does this cause you to see the negative things in your life differently? Talk about a time God used what you thought was bad for good in your life. Finally, question number three, lofty doctrine leads Paul to deeper doxology. The less Paul understands God, the more he worships God for knowing what to do, even when he doesn't. How has Paul's approach to difficult theology encouraged you? And how can God's incomprehensibility lead you to praise rather than doubt? I hope you would join us this week. I hope you would come to Zoom with us. You would discuss with us. 
and I hope to see you back next week. We love you so much. We are praying for the day that we could all return and celebrate together. Until then, don't stop being a disciple of Christ. Don't stop being on mission. Don't stop praising the Lord. We love you, Inspire. We'll see you soon. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.